Good morning, John. It's good to have you here. Um, I want to introduce John Hensel, who's the co-founder of Sea Currency, uh, who is a leader in the tokenization space here in not only Abu Dhabi, but also in the United States. And we have him here to talk to us a little bit about what he does. Well, thank you, Maria. Thanks very much for having me. And I do look forward to the conversation. There's a lot to tell, and I'm sure certainly there's a lot of areas that can be cleared up, clarified uh, mm -hmm. as people start to learn more about what blockchain is and what it means to financial services. So what is, I mean, I'm confused. What is tokenization? What's the difference between that and digital currencies? What is, what is tokenization? It's a great question, um, and it's an area that, you know, there's quite a bit of confusion around. So I'll try to provide just some simple examples. Um, to begin with, a tokenization is a, a mechanism by which information is reported on a blockchain. Okay, That information could be related to uh, an asset. Uh, it could be uh, a record. It could be you know, health records or uh, government records, things like that. But the mechanism or the technique of recording that information on a blockchain, which is a immutable record, uh, this is a uh, technology environment that allows for uh, consensus around the validity of the information, and it is immutable, meaning it can't be uh, changed or altered after the fact. So that technology has you know, phenomenal applications in finance, where uh, uh, transparency into the value of an underlying asset or the ownership of an asset is key. And financial services have been providing these techniques or these services using legacy techniques for a long time, and now technology is providing a new way to do it, and, and that is through distributed ledger technology or blockchain technology. Now, cryptocurrencies in comparison to other digital assets is an area where there's probably the greatest amount of confusion. Um, in our business, uh, Securency provides technology or financial services infrastructure products to regulated financial services businesses. Our core focus is on regulation ensuring that the assets that are being transacted with are only being used between known and qualified parties. And that's what regulators want to ensure for the uh, stability and uh, efficiencies of the markets that they supervise. Now, cryptocurrencies, um, I think the leading ones that you'll consider would be, say, Bitcoin, right? Now, Bitcoin is not a regulated security in the sense of, say, a public equity or private equity would be, but it is also an asset that's recorded on a blockchain. And the beauty of um, what that uh, technology offers is the ability to transfer rights to the asset, in the case of a Bitcoin, uh, the rights of that asset from one party to another in a peer-to-peer -peer context. So I could transfer from my wallet to your wallet very efficiently rights to the value of a Bitcoin. And there's a whole other conversation about what the value of a Bitcoin is. But I was going to yeah. say Bitcoin doesn't have anything... Uh, any uh, reference asset underneath? I, I understand Bitcoin is just yeah. a value in itself. That's correct. That's exactly right. So it is a, there is a, uh, a shared understanding that it has value by virtue of its limited quantity mm -hmm. market, you know, very akin to gold, right? Although we continue to mine gold and we put, uh, put gold into uh, inventory for circulation, there's a finite amount of it. And similarly, uh, Bitcoin, there's a finite amount of Bitcoin. And as we get further into the life cycle of that mining, there's less and less of it being produced. And there creates a demand for it as a, a, a unit of value for transfer. Now, what Securency does as a technology provider is we 
deliver the same kinds of efficiencies and access, but that blockchain offers Bitcoin. Um, we provide that same level of efficiency and access to regulated securities and uh, uh, capital markets. Uh, and what that means is that the record keeping function is confirming the rights to the performance of the underlying asset and creating the conditions where those assets can be transferred very efficiently. Now, the use case we used a moment ago with Bitcoin was talking about retail kind of activity, right? Peer to peer between uh, two individuals who have access to the tech. We move that up to the levels of financial services providers, institutions, sovereign wealth funds, pension funds, endowment funds. We're talking massive, massive amounts of value. And that value is going to continue to invest in companies. It's going to invest in real estate. It's going to invest in commodities and other assets, traditional assets. TradFi is uh, bringing new technology capabilities into those settings that increase access to the assets, meaning that investors who are liquidity providers, they're looking for yield, um, you know, giving them opportunities to participate in the market more efficiently, and uh, particularly in a multi-jurisdictional context. Most investors, uh, typically, uh, you know, certainly your retail investors, but then even some of your high net worth investors are constrained to some extent in which geographies or jurisdictions they can transact in. When you begin to bring in uh, the efficiencies that blockchain offers to traditional assets and the distribution that it affords by providing compliance solutions that allow for uh, distribution control of assets in a multi-jurisdictional context, you start to really open up the world of opportunities. The world of opportunities for investors who are seeking yield opportunities in new markets, emerging markets, new asset classes, and also the world of opportunities to asset managers who are seeking affordable capital and may be constrained in the jurisdiction that they're in, but they know that they can uh, gain access to capital in other markets. Is, is it being used right now in the finance world? Is tokenization being used? What what It is, it is, and, and it's, it's, it's a journey. I mean, we founded our company in 2015 um, purposefully to build financial services technology. We're not a cryptocurrency, we're not an asset manager, We are building technology that we license to uh, asset managers, transfer agents, custodians, broker dealers, fund administrators. Uh, the entire capital market stack has an opportunity to use our technology. Um, and so th there are uh, use cases in play today. Uh, as an example, there's a, a firm, it's a, a US firm, a Wisdom Tree. Um, Wisdom Tree is an asset manager. Uh, they're a publicly traded company, they trade on the New York Stock Exchange. And uh, they manage about $100 billion dollars worth of, of assets. They are using Securancy's technology to take their traditional funds. These are 1940 Act securities uh, regulated by the Securities and Exchange Commission of the United States um, to bring those assets from the traditional setting where they're trading on the exchanges like NASDAQ and New York Stock Exchange through traditional brokers like Schwab and E-Trade and others, bringing those assets into an environment where they can be transacted in a retail setting uh, between uh, peers. Uh, so essentially providing the same kind of behavior that I described earlier between you and I transacting with Bitcoin. But instead now, I have an opportunity through an application called Wisdom Tree Prime to be able to go in and not only purchase, uh, let's say for instance, Bitcoin or Ethereum, but I can purchase uh, 
U.S. short-term treasury note funds, various index funds that Wisdom Tree manages, the same indexes that are trading on the NASDAQ and the New York Stock Exchange and in other markets, now in a digital environment. So these are digital, natively digital 1940X securities that are transacting on a blockchain. The Stellar Ledger and the Ethereum Ledger happens to be a multi-ledger application. But if I'm the investor, I'm still buying the same treasury, right? Correct. I mean, it's yeah. just the way of buying it. Do yeah. I see anything? Is uh, anything different? In the, life? the difference is not the performance of the underlying asset. The difference is your access to it. Okay, think about this. Um, you could pick up your phone if you were in, in the United States. Let's say you're a resident of the state of New Jersey. You live outside of New York. You go, you download the application from the App Store. You go through a, an onboarding workflow. Uh, you create an account. You move value into it from your Bank of America account or whomever it is that you, you're banking with. And you can be, begin immediately purchasing um, U.S. treasuries. Uh, you can begin purchasing index funds various portfolios that Wisdom Tree manages as an asset manager, you can buy as digital assets. Now you can also purchase gold, which is available in a digital form in the application, as well as dollars. And as I said earlier, some, uh, some crypto, select cryptocurrencies. You now have a, an experience where all of those assets are together. Prior to Wisdom Tree Prime, if you wanted to go purchase treasuries, you would, as I said, you'd go through an intermediary broker, a Schwab or an E-Trade or a Raymond James or something like that. Um, if you wanted to purchase gold, you'd go through a gold broker, um, or you could potentially get it through another uh, another channel. Um, crypto, you probably have an account with Coinbase or something like that. Wisdom Tree, I think very uh, wisely, has brought all of this together in the Wisdom Tree Prime application. And now when you're purchasing these assets, to you, you're doing it through a mobile application and you're just seeing numbers on a screen and you see the performance of those assets. You're, you're entitled to the dividends that they produce. You are a shareholder, so you can put this. So I do own the asset. Absolutely. Itself. I mean, if I buy gold this way, I still own yes. that gold. Yeah, and, and just sh showcase how the institutional participants are, are contributing to this environment. All of the equities that make up the baskets of the 1940 Act funds are custody with State Street Bank. Everybody knows State Street Bank. It is the leading custodian in the market providing these kinds of services to asset managers in a traditional setting. They're doing the very same uh, in the context of these uh, securities. Gold is custody with HSBC. Uh, it turns out Wisdom Tree is the largest gold manager in uh, Europe, and their relationships with HSBC make them a prime uh, partner for the custody of this gold. So when you purchase a gold token through the Wisdom Tree Prime application, it is backed by physical gold at HSBC. Is there a chance of them selling more gold that they have custody, is that a risk? It, it is not a risk. So the, the, the model and the way all of this has been set up is it's 100% backed. So whether it's the dollars that are custody of the U.S. bank, the gold at HSBC, the securities at State Street, and even the, the cryptocurrencies that are custody with Coinbase, all of those custodial relationships are backed one for one. So there is no inconsistencies, I guess, between your rights of ownership and what the underlying right. asset represents which is exactly what investors want. They want to know that when they're investing in something that they are getting and hold 100% ownership of the asset that they've invested in and the performance of that asset. What does this do to the industry? Because, I mean, it seems that you're getting rid of a middle layer of operations or handling that it's no longer necessary. What happens next? Well, firstly, for the participants in the market, the investors in particular, the experience is much more streamlined. Uh, it's much more convenient. It's much more instantaneous. 
Remember, all transactions that are occurring on a blockchain are instant settlement and clearing. This is atomic swaps. The idea of T plus two or more goes away. So it means that if I buy something like this, immediately my account is debited, the cash, and I get the asset. That's exactly right. So it's instance, instantaneous. And what's, uh, you know, the, the use case that uh, we were describing uh, earlier today when we were chatting was uh, the idea of if I want to redeem value that I hold in a security today and I contact my broker and say, hey, I want to you know, pull out some funds, you know, that transaction for most investors is going to take a day or two to settle into your account. And then you're going to move the value from your account to whatever it was that you wanted to, to use it for in the first place. In the environment of blockchain and, and you know, using the Wisdom Tree Prime uh, application as an example, you are redeeming, you are receiving immediately the value of the redemption, and it's transactable immediately. So there's no latency. There's no one day or two days for me to be able to get this done. It's immediate, which means that you can keep your value at work, uh, earning value and earning uh, dividends as much as you need. And when you want to redeem and exit, you have an opportunity to do so immediately. So when your value is at rest, it's paying you a dividend. When you need your value in motion, it can be redeemed and, and monetized and moved through payment rails or whatever uh, use case you have for it. In the sense of price demand, price discovery, yep. could the digital be more expensive or less expensive if I do it one way or the other, or it's going to be the same price? As the markets grow, the pricing will become stabilized. They'll become more consistent. In the early days, as there's adoption, there's going to be a need to um, establish an, a NAV, uh, an NAV for assets. And it's the period, the frequency with which the NAV is being uh, established that will drive what the redemption value will be. As markets grow, liquidity providers will begin to um, set pricing. So price discovery will come by demand in the market rather than, say, uh, a NAV being struck on a daily basis. But isn't the NAV, I think, take the stick gold, which is traded, and there's a live price for exactly. that. Exactly, yeah. It will be the same price if I do it in a conventional way or using tokenization? Exactly the same. So it's it is exactly the same. Okay. So what, what we're going to see, uh, and I, I think the, the markets are realizing, is that all of the lessons learned, all of the best practices that have been in place in traditional finance for decades, if not longer, are transferring over into this new environment. It's just a new tool. If you can imagine years ago when you had a typewriter and carbon paper and white out, and eventually there was a word processor, and then eventually there was a product called Microsoft Word, and the, all of the iterations that have come and the convenience with which we can send files and information and edit at scale is unprecedented to what it was back in the, say, the 70s. We're going to see that kind of evolution with finance. As these tools become more pervasive, uh, more accessible, more well understood, the user experience uh, is, is going to remain familiar. Uh, it, it's going to be different. It's going to be faster. It's going to be more accessible. There's going to be more automation. AI is going to come into into play, um, and you know various, various trading algorithms and whatnot that will influence the way markets perform. But all of the first principles of capital markets uh, will remain. How near in the future? When do you foresee? Because what you're telling me is pretty soon, Jorge, you'll be able to take your phone and start trading these. How far are we away from that? Well, as I said, it's already available in 21 states in the U.S. for Wisdom Tree uh, assets. So the SEC has approved 
uh, 17 funds uh, for Wisdom Tree, and they'll continue to add to the portfolio of funds that will be available via the application. Other asset managers are doing the same. If you just look at the headlines, whether it's Larry Fink or whomever that's, you know, the the leaders of the industry, Jamie Dimon, they're all talking about where uh, the markets are going and how technology and particular applications of blockchain are going to transform finance. Boston Consulting Group uh, conducted a, a, a study and, and released a report maybe six months ago, it's a, it's a little bit time late, where they forecasted that $16 trillion worth of value will be recorded in the blockchain and transacting on the blockchain by 2030. That's six years from now. Uh, you know, Securency started this journey eight years ago. So, you know, that that six-year horizon is not very far off in our opinion. And, and obviously to get to $16 trillion, significant amount of change has to occur in the next few years. Do you see, in terms of this technology spreading around the world, it has been my experience that countries or regions without legal legacy systems tend to change faster. Is that where you see the growth? Like the United States has a lot of legacy systems. So is it going to be more difficult for the U.S. to migrate into this than a country that has no financial system or very incipient financial system and they can immediately embrace it? You're exactly right with your, your thesis. And, and we saw that early. So in 2017, as we were looking at the landscape in the United States, uh, I was living in the U.S. at the time, um, whether it was a regulatory landscape or it was the infrastructure, the time it would take for the institutions to change in the U.S., we decided to look abroad. And as we evaluated markets around the world, you know, the leading financial centers, the, the tech hubs, we you know ranged everywhere from Singapore and Hong Kong to London and uh, Switzerland, but we we dialed in on uh, the UAE. Uh, we saw this as an emerging market, certainly one that was is known globally for its wealth, but also it's a very progressive market, uh, and their willingness to embrace technology and find ways to accelerate uh, the growth of the marketplace. And in 2017, we began working here at the Abu Dhabi Global Market with the regulators, the Financial Services Regulatory Authority demonstrating how our technology could be used in these settings to create the conditions for capital formation, whether it was in uh, uh, private markets, so various funds and uh, private, uh, private investment opportunities, building a marketplace, building an inventory uh, so that markets would form and, and liquidity providers would come into the jurisdiction. Now, there's been some great uh, advancements in the U.S. Uh, in recent years, uh, not surprisingly, as the largest economy in the world, they need to keep pace. Uh, but they're going to continue to be very conservative. What is the, especially in the U.S. or in Europe, how do the regulators look at this? Uh, you see a lot of headlines about regulators being worried about the crypto world. Mm -hmm. Are we in the same arena or do regulators look at this differently? I certainly think regulators look at it differently. Uh, and a big part of that is that there's just been a lot of thought leadership and a lot of progress made in recent years where there's a better understanding of the differences between what is a, an, a unit of value that is re referred to as a cryptocurrency or a virtual asset in some markets uh, to what is a regulated digital security. I mean, at some point, the term token is going to fall away. The term uh, digital is going to fall away. And Market participants are going to refer to them as shares and units. The, the same units of value that we refer to today, they're just recorded on a different ledger. 
and that uh, apprehension uh, uh, that you know somehow has become commingled, where somehow uh, the volatility that exists in in cryptocurrency markets is somehow going to translate over to the volatility of the underlying assets in a digital market is just not true. Markets will move, but there is no correlation. The uh, uh, the underlying assets are what drive the value of digital securities or securities in general. And as long as those assets remain there, maintain their value, the uh, the digital security is going to maintain its value as well. As I think of my portfolio, if I hold a fund X Y Z, for example, at Wisdom Tree, and I hold it on a conventional way, I call the broker and you know I sent the fax, wrote the emails, and I have it in my account. Can I transfer that to digital, or they do it? How does this happen? Or will it eventually migrate to a tokenization? Yeah. Do I have to do anything? Because if I have gold, for example, gold in the conventional way, and gold the way you're describing it, for me it's easier to trade gold in the digital in the digital world. How do I convert what I bought on a conventional way to this one? Yeah, that, that's a great question. And ultimately, the asset managers who are responsible for these various portfolios, I think, are going to uh, find ways to uh, benefit from that uh, desire to move from a less liquid or less transferable environment into a more transferable environment. We haven't seen, or at least I haven't personally seen, uh, use cases of that in the uh, commodities markets. Uh, but I think it, it will happen in time as there become avenues to move physical value or uh, legacy records into a digital environment. Um, but asset managers are, are uh, testing the waters here. You know, they're offering some in the traditional uh, distribution channels and some in the digital distribution channels and evaluating, you know, where are the efficiencies? Where can I um, potentially save on uh, intermediary uh, costs that I'm accustomed to paying that because the digital environment makes assets more accessible, I can begin to uh, reap some of the savings of my uh, operational expenses. But the markets are going to move towards digital. Uh, there's no doubt about it. And it will be a, uh, a transition that I think is going to happen rather quickly. Uh, and that movement of legacy records into a digital environment is becoming more and more automated and much more convenient for asset managers to do. As an investor or an asset, asset manager, this is new technology. This is a new path. What are the risks? What are the bumps on the road? Yeah, the risks are ultimately... Uh, to the investor. Uh, and what I mean by that is if they don't do proper due diligence, uh, they don't use either their own knowledge of the market or uh, advisors who are providing them you know, trusted counsel on which assets to invest in. It's the same sort of risks that exist in a legacy setting. You have to do your due diligence on the investment opportunity. Just because it's been recorded uh, on a ledger doesn't make it a better investment. Uh, it doesn't make it immediately more liquid. Uh, there, the underlying asset is still the most important uh, prospect here that needs to be considered in an investment decision. And this is why Securency has been very focused on regulation. We always want to ensure that the assets that we're um, supporting the, and the financial services providers that we're supporting are doing so in uh, an alignment with the regulatory expectations of the jurisdiction that they're operating in and that only known and qualified parties are participating in those assets. I would say that the risk that exists in the market is when people choose to go around that. They try to find uh, jurisdictions where the regulatory standards are lower uh, than they should be, and 
you know, as I said earlier, we we value the, the standards that the U.S. offers, uh, both in the uh, SEC and CFTC regimes. But uh, here in the UAE, uh, working with the FSRA and ADGM, uh, the Securities and, and Commodities Authority onshore with the UAE, um, these standards are what we believe are important to uh, good order and discipline in the market. And we want to provide technology solutions to, that help uh, reinforce that uh, to limit uh, the risk to investors purely to the risk associated with the, the performance of the underlying asset. How do you see those standards, this regulation of the FRA compared to other jurisdictions around the world? How do they stack up? They're definitely world leaders. Um, and you know, credit to uh, those that made the decisions early on when ADGM and FSRA were being formed. Uh, to go out and to bring in the top minds in uh, regulation and compliance into the ADGM uh, jurisdiction, establishing, of course, the judicial uh, framework that uh, protects the market participants in the ADGM. But the regulatory standards are, are really leading the world. Uh, they have done a fa fabulous job on providing clarity across a whole bunch of uh, different areas of interest, whether it's virtual assets or it's ESG, uh, a number of different uh, uh, areas of, of importance globally that FSRA is actually leading the charge on documenting. Let me change the the focus one second. We've been talking about me as an investor, but in reality, we are a fund manager. And how does this benefit? What does this technology do for me as a fund manager? So there's many aspects to what the, uh, let's say, the asset manager and the investor journey entail. Uh, and we've spent a lot of the uh, conversation here talking about blockchain and record keeping. Um, ultimately, uh, in today's traditional environment, it's record keeping and reconciliation of records. It's a, a big part of what is the overhead that asset managers such as yourself uh, need to contend with. Uh, and that's part of what drives the latency in transactions because there's time for uh, verification and, and authorization before transactions settle. Moving into a blockchain environment, as we said earlier, atomic swaps, things happen much faster. There's a great deal of efficiency that comes from it. But the, the, an area that uh, uh, is really important to emphasize is when you begin working in that kind of an efficient environment, you have an opportunity, and the technology affords this, to fractionalize the interests in the underlying asset. What I mean by fractionalize is if a uh, minimum ticket, for instance, was a half a million dollars or $10 million or whatever that number might be. And because the technology makes uh, uh, record keeping and uh, client onboarding and all much more efficient, you have an opportunity to drive that way down. I mean, to uh, values that become very accessible, very approachable for investors. I subject to regulation. I mean, there's some regulatory minimum, obviously, right? Uh, th of course, there are. So there's there are regulatory minimums in jurisdictions, whether it's a collective investment fund in in uh, ADGM at a, a half a million dollars or an ADGM exempt fund at fifty thousand dollars. Those are standards that are established by the regulators for minimums. But as a asset manager, you may say, you know what, the overhead of dealing with a bunch of investors, I'm going to raise that value to a higher threshold, and I want minimum tickets that are in the millions or tens of millions. And that's great if you're attracting that kind of capital. But if you could have the same degree of efficiency all the way down to maybe even approaching retail investors, 
And of course, there's a retail uh, opportunity uh, in the FSRA and ADGM uh, uh, jurisdiction for uh, participation in funds. If you can have that kind of efficiency in your middle office and back office operations that affords you the opportunity to invest a far number, a far broader number of investors, that's great because those that are seeking yield opportunities or those liquidity providers are providing affordable capital that you would, you know, would like to deploy. So as an asset manager, it provides a, a mechanism for you to efficiently distribute your products, uh, to manage your uh, obligations to your shareholders and your LPs. Uh, and uh, it does create a, another added benefit, which is you know, kind of uh, post-capital formation, which is the uh, convenience with which uh, value can be transferred from one party to another. So one LP could very conveniently transfer their interest to another qualified party. Uh, you could even have a secondary market for OTC trading of the interests in the fund, you know, depending on you know, the, the strategy of the fund, open-end, closed-end, things like that. What is the, the speed of change? Have you seen more, are we just early adopters? Um, is everybody jumping into the swimming pool? How do you see the environment right now for this technology? It certainly is early days. Um, what we're hearing more and more in our engagement with uh, traditional financial services providers is they're tired of uh, proofs of concept. They want to get into it and they want to actually move in and begin dealing with real assets uh, at, at scale in real jurisdictions with you know real significance, and that uh, that trade that the transition we think is very very um, important because we're past the apprehension of this isn't a real thing. It's actually very much a real thing, and now you want to be a first mover. And if you're not a first mover, you want to be a really fast follower. And everybody's positioning themselves for that transition. It's not easy. Uh, you know, to use the metaphor of the aircraft that's in flight, you know, trying to change engines while the aircraft is in flight is uh, never an easy task. Uh, so these institutions, they can't put the, you know, closed for business sign in the window for 30 days while they retool the factory. They've got to continue to serve the market with their traditional services while finding ways to introduce this technology in various settings, whether it's capital formation, it's securities lending, it's collateral programs, it's custody. There's a whole host of different use cases. And as we see more and more being validated and consortiums forming, where you bring together, it's not just an institution trying to do something. You know, earlier I used the example of Wisdom Tree. Wisdom Tree couldn't do it alone. They needed State Street to do custody. They needed HSBC to do custody. They needed Fireblocks to do key control. They needed, uh, you know, U.S. Bank to provide dollar custody. They use um, Galileo and the Visa payment rails for, for credit card transactions. All of that stuff has to come together and you have to have a, um, you know, willing participants to build it. But once you do, you've now created a really exciting experience and others are going to want to follow right on the heels of it. So the first movers who go in and actually set the precedent, you know, they're the ones who are going to, I think, going to be the ones who certainly benefit the most in the early days. Um, and they're, um, they're blazing the trail for the fast followers to come in right behind them. So there is proof of content. Oh, without a doubt. Okay. Yeah, without a doubt. You know, we're uh, excited to be supporting the growth of the hedge fund industry in uh, ADGM. Um, you know, uh, the, the leadership here have been very aggressive in saying this is the capital of capital. If you are seeking funds uh, that you're going to deploy uh, to uh, you know, drive the world's economy, come talk to us. 
well, if hedge fund managers are coming here, and, and they certainly are, you've seen um, in recent uh, uh, press releases, you have uh, Brevin Howard in Abu Dhabi, uh, you've got uh, Asmut and Carlisle and other fund managers who are saying, hey, this is, this is where we want to set up shop. They could come in and they could establish their funds in a traditional context and have all of the same latency and headaches that they have in other markets, or they can come in and they can set up and be uh, natively digital first. And that's what we are looking to support. We want to work with fund administrators, uh, with fund managers, asset managers, custodians, uh, broker partners uh, to create the ecosystem so that when a asset manager comes in or has already set up shop here as, as, as your team has, they have an avenue to use this technology to operate more efficiently, to gain access to capital, and have all of the protections and the efficiencies that the uh, jurisdiction offers. Well, John, thank you very much. I don't want to take more of your time, but this has been very illuminating. Uh, and very little about this industry, and this, but it's exciting. And congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. And we wish you all the best, and I know successes here and more success to you. Oh, thank you very much. I really enjoyed the conversation. It was a lot of fun. I look forward to doing it again. And I look forward to working with you and your team. Thank you very much, John. Thanks very much. Take care.